Bitcoin and Co. The podcast about crypto economy and the future of money. Hosted by author and speaker Anita Posch. Hello and welcome to this episode of my Bitcoin and Co. podcast. I'm happy that you're listening. You can find more details about this episode at www.bitcoincopodcast.com. Please subscribe to the podcast, share it on social media, leave a review on iTunes and recommend it to your friends. This supports the continuation of the podcast. The more listeners and subscribers, the more people gain knowledge about Bitcoin and Co. too. Follow me on Twitter at Anita Posch and subscribe to my newsletter to get updates on new episodes. If you like to support the podcast, you can become a sponsor or donate to the Bitcoin address you'll find on the website at www.bitcoincopodcast.com slash support. Thanks for your attention. Let's start with the episode after this short message from our sponsors. You're looking for a solution to store Bitcoin the safe and easy way? The Card Wallet is a high-secure way to storing Bitcoin offline, developed by Confinity and the Austrian State Printing House. The Card Wallet is a professional cold storage solution made with high-quality security materials and tamper-proof features that prevent the manipulation of the card. If you want to know more or buy the Card Wallet, go to www.cardwallet.com. Hello, today we have here Aaron van Wierdum. Aaron is a journalist for the Bitcoin magazine. And um, thank you much, very much for the time that you're taking your time to talk with me today here. Sure, thanks for having me. I always start these uh, conversations with some back questions about my guest background mm -hmm. so that my listeners know who's talking to them. You're a journalist and write for the Bitcoin magazine. How did your interest in Bitcoin and blockchains arise? What did you do before that? Um, before Bitcoin, before Bitcoin, I was still in university. Uh, I was writing my master's thesis when I first heard about Bitcoin, I think. So I was in the late stages of university still. Um, but I was also working as a freelance journalist. And um, I heard about Bitcoin through friends. And I was looking for topics to write about. And Bitcoin seemed like an interesting topic to me. I didn't know a lot about it. I thought it was kind of like PayPal, but anonymous, like an anonymous PayPal. And that for me was interesting enough. Like that's already interesting. You know, it's used on the dark web for uh, sketchy stuff. And it's just an interesting topic for journalists to, to cover, right? So I, I started to follow it. I started to read more about it. And the more I learned, the more fascinated I became. And um, after a couple of months, I decided that I want to... This isn't going to be one article. I want to... I started writing a series of articles for like a personal blog. It wasn't even... Uh, I didn't even sell it to anyone. I just published it on a personal blog, which was basically dismissing the mistruths I was hearing about Bitcoin in the, in the general media. I was kind of debunking why it wasn't a Ponzi scheme and why it was a, uh, what else, why it wasn't just for criminals and that, that sort of stuff. And um, from there on, I started my own news site in Dutch and then I started to work for Coindesk as well and 
Going Telegraph and ultimately ended up at Bitcoin Magazine. I've been there for about three years now. Okay, so how many years now since you started writing about Bitcoin? Uh, I think I published my first blog post in like September, October 2013. Okay. So over five years now. Well, that's uh, really a long time. It's for in Bitcoin years, in that's Bitcoin. Uh, that's a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I've noticed, maybe I'm not, correct me if I'm not right, but that the Bitcoin magazine uh, is now concentrating more just on Bitcoin. Why is yeah. that? Why is that? Um, well, so my personal opinion, I, I personally think Bitcoin is the m most interesting and important thing going on in this industry. I, I think that if Bitcoin would fail, it would basically mean the end of all of this um, maybe not the end of all of it like people will still have realized that cryptography is useful for things but the whole blockchain narrative the whole cryptocurrency sphere the whole I think it's all leaning on Bitcoin if Bitcoin would fail that would just um, remove all trust people have in these types of types of systems these types of projects uh, I also think Bitcoin is in itself most interesting like the sound money type of value proposition is, is probably the best thing you can do with this type of technology and um, yeah so I, I think I think most of the things most of the projects are just distractions it, Bitcoin is the main and most interesting thing going on here so we're gonna focus on that yeah I mean this is mostly my personal opinion here but I think it, it, over at Bitcoin Magazine, we, we kind of share that philosophy. Maybe, uh, maybe not everyone, but kind of the general yeah, I idea. Understand. I think I understand what you mean. I mean, uh, we never know if some other technology or private money uh, thing like comes along, which may be better. But um, I think um, there's nothing to see at the moment. Even more, yesterday I think there was a 51% attack on Ethereum, Ethereum Classic. Classic. Yeah. So. Um, Bitcoin, I think, is still the longest um, uh, cryptocurrency or blockchain that has not been hacked in itself. All of the other cryptocurrencies, all of the other blockchain type of projects, there's a lot of hype around certain buzzwords, and but if you really look at what it's doing, it's really not doing much. There's really not much out there that's actually providing value to the world. Bitcoin is actually providing value to the world. People are actually using it for international remittances, remittances uh, on the dark web, they're buying stuff with it. They're using it, uh, like in Venezuela, or like as a, you can use it as a hedge against inflation. And people are actually doing that, even if they're small amounts of people, even if it's small, but it's real, and that's what matters. Well, 99% of what's going on in this industry just isn't real. It's just just speculation and just buzzwords and hype, or what's going to be real tomorrow. Pursue you know allegedly or whether bitcoin is real today that's one thing and the other thing is that if something else would come along that actually provides real value i do think bitcoin can adopt it um you know bitcoin is still an open source project and it can adopt new futures it can adopt new value um propositions if something proves to actually be valuable if something proves to actually work out there bitcoin can adopt it um, Bitcoin also has just 
a number of advantages, like network effect is an obvious one, but also I think it has like this sort of t- game theoretical advantage, where if something would overtake Bitcoin, that would that would shatter the trust in these kinds of systems, right? You want to be able to put your money securely into something, and if the leading cryptocurrency is a new one every year, and then your one just vanishes. Then it's, it, you know, it doesn't have that gold value proposition where you put you put your money in it, don't touch it for five years, and it's still there. That's what you want. That's that's a very valuable um, future to have. And Bitcoin can offer that. And I kind of think Bitcoin is the only one that can offer it because Bitcoin is the biggest one, is the main one, is kind of this digital gold. And if it gets replaced, it sort of undermines this whole idea that something digital can be digital. So for me, it's kind of, it's Bitcoin or bust in a way. Like either Bitcoin succeeds or, or we all fail. Okay. Uh, what do you think are the biggest obstacles at the moment in Bitcoin adoption and uh, that more people can use it? I don't think there are big obstacles. Bitcoin just have to, has to... Um, Wait. <laughs> uh, the longer it survives, the more trust it will instill. The, you know, the, every year that passes by and Bitcoin doesn't die is a year of added trust that it won't die. And this is called a Lindy effect, right? Um, so as long as Bitcoin doesn't die, I think over time people will learn to trust it, and that's just what it needs to do. It just doesn't need to. It doesn't. It needs to not die. And yeah. so far, it's going well. So far, it's not dying. Yeah, it's uh, 10 years now. <laughs> so uh, Nick Sable just said that uh, he believes that uh, there will be like two layers of uh, also usage. Mm-hmm. So the first is the base layer, the ground layer of Bitcoin for remit- remittances, uh, bigger transactions and stuff. And the Lightning Network is in the making now. So and that would be for smaller transactions as well. Uh, I've used it two days ago to buy a beer. It worked nice. fine, really. It just took one second or even less, and right. uh, it was done. And I think um, that's what I want to ask you. Um, do you think that the Lightning Network uh, can solve the privacy problems or give more private features to Bitcoin? Or do we need also other technologies? Because I think you wrote an article about uh, upcoming privacy uh, protection features. Right. I think Lightning is an important part of that puzzle. But I think there's several pieces to the puzzle. So Bitcoin has kind of a design flaw in a way. It's like one of the very few design flaws it has is that it doesn't offer great privacy. Um, it was probably intended to offer privacy originally. It's in the white paper. There's like a paragraph on privacy. And the idea was that if you use different Bitcoin addresses for each payment, every time you receive a ba- payment, you generate a new address, then that, that offers some level of privacy, right? Well, unfortunately, that doesn't really hold up um, for a couple of reasons. One reason is that um, at this point, we rely very heavily on kind of centralized services to use Bitcoin exchanges, most notably. So every time you withdraw your Bitcoins from an exchange, you give them at least one of your address. So then that gets connected to your identity. And then next time you use this address, you're 
it's pretty likely you'd use it in combination with one of your other addresses. So now they know two of your addresses or three, and this allows for clustering. And um, then you pay someone else, and that person deposited to an exchange. So now the exchange learns another address. And all in all, they're going to learn a lot. They, they, there's very little privacy if you use it like this, unfortunately. But there are all sorts of tricks to improve on this. So, for example, you can mess with this assumption they make that if you if several addresses are used in one transaction, it belongs to the same person. This is a relatively new trick where you combine different... No, actually, the person you're paying adds one of their addresses to pay themselves. So now you break the assumption that all of the addresses you're paying with are all belong to the same person, all belong to you. So that's one broken assumption. And then you have good mixing strategies, which you can uh, use where you combine all sorts of transactions into one and people basically mix their coins. Um, and then the Lightning Network is also one uh, solution where because payments are forwarded from peer to peer, um, but each pair on the route doesn't know where the money came from and where it's ultimately going. It's kind of has this tour, uh, tour technique, which is used for payments. So that's, that offers privacy. Now, if you combine all of these things, and there are more, if you combine all of these things, you get pretty far. Like, you may not get perfect privacy. You may not get to the point where it's, like, physical cash privacy. But you get pretty close. You get pretty far. So if you're doing... Um, regular people stuff, then that's enough privacy for you. Yeah, but but the art is, I guess, to still maintain transparency because you have to have an open uh, ledger, a transparent ledger to right. to to maintain the 21 million, and not somebody can come and print uh, coins out of nowhere. Yeah, so that's there are. Um, well, that's, that could be an interesting future discussion for Bitcoin, actually. There are tricks to hide this, to hide tra transaction amounts in, in uh, transactions while still being able to validate the amounts that are in the transaction. There are coins that use this, including Monero and Zcash. And also, for example, the Liquid sidechain on Bitcoin also uses this. And it is technically possible to deploy this on Bitcoin. Um, so... At least as long as the math holds up, that would mean that the 21 million limit is fine. But it adds an assumption to the system. It adds the assumption that the math, to, to the math used in this trick, you know, it doesn't isn't broken by by some sort of genius somewhere. Um, and then if it is broken, we wouldn't know. So that's that kind of adds a risk, and that risk exists in something like Zcash, and it doesn't exist in Bitcoin right now. So in the future, it may get. It's possible to deploy it on Bitcoin, but then you know that that that's a new debate to have. Like, do we want more privacy, or do we want this this um, fair viability of of the coin amount? Before we continue our show, a short message from our sponsors. Thanks for listening and we will be back soon. Start accepting Bitcoin Dash or Litecoin for your business today with the Celementex cryptocurrency payment service. 
The SX1801 POS terminal by Salamantics offers an easy system for you to accept payments in cryptocurrency absolutely risk-free and receive the exact amount in fiat, such as euro or US dollar, into your company account. Easy tax reporting tools and system integrations allow you to just go ahead with your business as usual. Sign up now with Salamantics and start the easy way to crypto pay. Find more information at salamantex.com. That's S-A-L-A-M-A-N-T-E-X.com. How long do you estimate or think that it will take uh, that uh, the Lightning Network is working so that the usual person can use it? Well, aren't you a usual person? Yeah, that's... No, um, I think <laughs> I know a bit more than, than the general public about Bitcoin. But um, but it wasn't very hard to use, no, it was it? it? It wasn't, but somebody had to tell me how to open the channel in the wallet because okay. I didn't know that I have to... I mean, I, I filled the wallet, uh, but then I had to open the channel manually with a, a note, yeah. and I didn't know that. I thought I just could use it like a Bitcoin wallet. So right now, Lightning works, I think. It works okay, but it's still clunky. There and there, it's clunky for a number of reasons. Um, one reason is that if you're making a payment, then you must have enough coins in one channel, and every peer along the route also must have enough coins in their channels with the other peers. Uh, so the bigger the payment you want to make, the more unlikely that gets. Now there is a proposal to fix this through. Uh, you know, combining channels is using two channels and then sort of two channels make their way to the recipient. And this all cryptographically secured that if one fails, the other fails as well. Like the other, either both work or they both don't. Um, so that would make it more flexible, less clunky. Another thing would be that, um, like you said, if you want to make a lightning payment, you first got to fund your channel which is kind of an extra step which people have to take first. And if you don't have a channel funded, then the Lightning Network is really offering a solution for you. Well, it's gonna, this will get solved probably in wallets itself where you just make a payment and they'll figure out, okay, um, you don't see the difference anymore in your wallet. It's just mm. a payment. And if you have a Lightning channel open, it will use Lightning. If you don't, then it won't. Or it will just figure out what's the best solution for you. Um, or it will like fund your channel while making a payment like you make a payment and at the same time just make it a channel um, which is a good solution because then you know it's a good way to onboard more people on lightning there's all these sorts of things that will make the user experience better uh, developers don't like giving time frames for these things because it always takes longer than they want um, but it's, it's moving fast it's moving I mean only a year ago if you look at a map of the Lightning Network there were eight nodes online yeah, or yeah, something like yeah. this like back in 2000 and when, uh, 2017 so when 2018 started so a year ago there had been like five confirmed Lightning transactions or something like this like only the top Lightning developers had experimented with on-chain transaction Oh, on-chain, oh no, what are, uh, not on-chain, um, main, uh, mainnet oh, main lightning net. transactions. Before that, it was all testnet. There were, had been like a handful, and now it's 
kind of everywhere already. I mean, it's not everywhere, but it's huge. So it, it's moving fast, and there's a lot of um, enthusiasm around it. And I think a year from now will surprise us. What do you think about things like uh, Facebook Coin or Google Payments? They, I guess, they will also maybe come up with uh, coins. But um, I mean, there's this big problem with also privacy, and uh, then they know actually everything about us—not only or where we went to eat or where we did travel. Um, what do you think? Will people uh, notice this, or will they just use it like we use Facebook? I think these kinds of projects, these kind of coins, if you want to call them coins, are only very superficially similar to Bitcoin. You know, they're um, they kind of look and feel the same from from the surface, like these digital value thingies. But really, they don't offer the benefits that Bitcoin offers. Um, I'd say the two main benefits that Bitcoin offers are censorship resistance and uh, inflation resistance so digital scarcity and these like Facebook coin isn't gonna offer either there's no way they they're not gonna offer censorship resistance I don't believe that for a second and inflation resistance probably just gonna be dollar packs I guess and even if it isn't then that's worse because that means they can inflate the money supply whenever they wish so it's it has a, some sim, a superficial similarities, but it's not not even in the same competition, or it's it's just something completely different. Maybe people will use it that they're free to if they want to. Yeah, it's like a um, like tokens, like sure. point system, a reward system, maybe. Yeah, but therefore we could use they could use a blockchain as a, a central transparent nature, but if. Do they need but if it's know? central, then why would you use a blockchain? Yeah, you wouldn't need that. Yeah. You know, many companies or maybe also governments are going to do um, private blockchains at the beginning at least. I don't believe so. They're, they're not going to use actual blockchains. They're going to they're gonna either figure out that it doesn't make sense for them to use a blockchain because it's just inefficient and not, not very useful, or they're going to... Well, what they're probably going to do is they'll figure out that some parts of a blockchain are useful, like public key cryptography is like a neat future or something. Like they'll they'll learn something from blockchain. They'll, you know, they haven't been innovating a lot. You know, the financial infrastructure and governments they haven't been innovating a lot for like 20 years or so, and they haven't been utilizing the potential that cryptography offers. So blockchain is sort of this thing that shows them what's possible and they may use something. But it's not going to be an actual blockchain. That makes no sense for them to use an actual blockchain in, in any any real sense of what we mean when we say blockchain. Do you think that governments will issue digital currencies like like um, state coins, like a shilling coin in Austria or something like that? I wouldn't mind it if they do. Well, do you mean government, like actual, as opposed to like the, the fiat? Yeah, no, not opposed to a fiat, mm. but if actually a fiat currency is coin. I mean, and to say it's also now on a blockchain, and uh, we also mm. use this technology. It's like Bitcoin, but only issued by us. Mm. But actually, yeah. Well, there are some 
governments already that I think Ecuador has like a coin kind of thing, and also Venezuela has the petro. Yeah. So there are there are some governments that are issuing their own quote unquote cryptocurrencies, but again, um, they can't offer the benefits that Bitcoin offers of censorship resistance and inflation resistance. Yeah. Uh, they can offer other benefits potentially um you know if, if they would use the public crypto uh, public key cryptography for ownership you know there's some interesting things they could do there where you don't have to keep your money in a bank but you can actually have your money in your own wallet like have, have central bank kind of cash in your own wallet instead of having to deposit in a bank that could be interesting i think uh so uh-huh, yeah, so the, 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 to, to cut out the, the middleman in the sense of the banks, you mean? So to right, well, right now if you have your money in the bank, you don't really have your money in the bank, right? You have a claim on the bank to get money if you, if you, uh, if you want it, um, and then they have to issue the cash, and the cash money and bank money is a very different thing. Um, so right now, the only way for people to have cash money is to actually have the physical stuff. Well, banks themselves can have digital cash, like which is actual cash in the central bank. Um, so if the central bank digital cash would become available for the public, I think that could be interesting. That way, you could, you know, you, you don't want to hold ten thousand euros under your mattress, probably, or even more than that. You know, that, because your house could burn down or it could be broken into. Well, if you could have that actual digital version of that on, on like a hardware device I, I think there's some uh, could be interesting potentially um, what what do you see for this new year what will come now I mean like um, last year it's still well or let's say in 2016 2017 we saw a lot of ICOs mm -hmm. now ICOs are not so popular anymore I think now security tokens are another thing that um, are talking about very often what do you think security tokens aren't they just aren't these just ICOs under a different name because ICOs got a bad name or yeah, I think security tokens are also used to say uh, to digitalize properties, mm -hmm. for instance, yeah. like a house or a company. Yeah, mm -hmm. it would be then an ICO. Yeah, well, in a way, I think um, a lot of these types of things are hard to digitalize. Well, they, you can digitalize them, but ultimately, a house is a physical thing, and it needs. You know, physical security. If someone claims your house and goes on living in your house, then you call the police and you tell them, "Yo, that's actually my house," and, and you can prove that through a digital registry. Um, or I don't know. Actually, is it a physical registry? Yeah. <laughs> Either way, the point is, it doesn't really matter. Like you, you can decentralize it or centralize it, but ultimately, you still rely on a central service to protect you. So does it? You know, it's not that useful so to decentralize so the it. I think. Is the connection between mm. real world and digital world. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's the problem. Um, uh, there, there's an argument to be made that if if there's a very corrupt government somewhere, then you know they can still steal your house from you. Um, but if you still have this sort of decentralized property registry, then at least you know that would be a pain in the ass for them. Like yeah. you can sort of sh show to the world that they're being corrupt, yeah. and then. Yeah. They may not care about that. 
you know, they may not give your house back, but at least, you know, you, you can sort of publicly complain about it. Or, but uh, I've, it's hard to connect the digital and physical world in this way. Stuff like blockchains work best for native digital things. That's, that's the best use for them. Um, coming to an end now, um, do you have any book recommendations or videos or stuff for uh, the listeners on uh, Bitcoin for newbies or um, yeah, digital currencies, the history or something like that? Or what do you read? I, I, would, I would recommend um, Nick Zabo's blog, uh, mm -hmm. which is called Unenumerated. It's a, it has lots of blog posts, um, but some of the better, well, some of the best ones are um, shelling out on the origins of money. Um, the one on social scalability, I'm not sure what the exact name of that was, but also uh, like much older articles like um, uh, trusted third parties or security holes. I think a lot of these blogs are excellent and they really explain why Bitcoin makes sense in a way. Um, Nick Zaba, of course, invented Bitgold, which was a precursor to Bit a precursor to Bitcoin. Some people think he may have been involved with Bitcoin as part of Satoshi Nakamoto or something like this, but he denies this, so let's assume he he's not involved. But even if he's not, Nick Zaba, or, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto said that uh, Bitcoin was based in part on Bitgold. And I think if you read Nick Zabo's blog, it explains a lot of the design decisions behind Bitcoin and the value proposition behind Bitcoin. And so I, I would recommend that. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. Nice. Um, what are you, do you have any like, big topics for this year in your work? Do, is there something coming up uh, which is interesting for the public? Um, I'm probably going to write more on the background on, of Bitcoin, the, the prehistory of Bitcoin. Uh, I've covered a lot of it from the more technical perspective, and this year I hope to also dive more into like the economics and the ideological, political side of it, and and kind of uh, the thinkers and writers and people that were thinking about this type of stuff even before Bitcoin existed, and and that I think led up to the, the ultimate invention of Bitcoin. So reading about uh, Austrian economics and stuff. Yep, yeah, that's a big part of it. Austrian economics, also uh, cypherpunk ideology, yeah, these yeah, kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, interesting, yeah. I did a podcast with Rahim Takisagedan. He's an Austrian and an Austrian economist. Right. It was very interesting right. and also with safety, you know him, I guess. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah uh, nice. Uh, thanks. So, Where can uh, listeners follow your work? Uh, so either Bitcoin Magazine or you can follow me on Twitter, which is Aaron Van W. Yes. So, uh, I, will, I will post it in the show notes. Sure. <laughs> okay, great. Yes, yeah, fine. Thank you very much for yeah. this interview, for your time. Thank And you for having me. Have a good day. Yeah, Bye. you too. This was today's episode. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast in your podcast player, share it with your friends and family on Twitter or Facebook, and leave a review on iTunes or YouTube. If you consider to support the show, you can tip me in Bitcoin if you like. You'll find my Bitcoin address on the website at bitcoincopodcast.com 
forward slash support. If you want to advertise your product or company, please send an email to hello at bitcoincopodcast.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Audio editing and signation spoken by Katrin Eidenhammer. ID and production by Anita Posch. Mm-hmm.